Would you stand with me and grab your copy of God's Word and go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we've been in a conversation simply entitled, Come to the Table, recognizing the Lord's desire for us to all be a part of His family. 2 Peter chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 1. I'm reading today from the New Living Translation. You can also read along on the screen. Peter wrote, This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of His command, and He brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then He used the water to destroy the ancient world with the mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, He will set the heavens on fire, and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth He has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. I kind of find that comment kind of humorous. Anybody else? Like, yeah, Paul was great, but man, it took me a while to get what he was saying. Some of his comments were hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this will result in their destruction. You already know these things, dear friends. So be on guard... Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to Him, both now and forever. Amen. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is alive and speaks to the core of who we are. Lord, we thank You that in these moments, we can trust your Holy Spirit to speak much greater than I could ever do on my own. 
Lord, would you drive home your truth in our hearts, and may we not just hear, but may we be responsive to what you're saying, following you and inspiring others to do the same. Thank you for having your way in these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. As I said a moment ago, we've been in a conversation simply entitled, Come to the Table. And if you've been with our study, particularly in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, then you know that we have declared all people, all people are welcome at the table of Jesus. God wants His house to be full. He wants every person to have relationship with Him and to be with Him for eternity. And God has given His invitation through His Son Jesus, through His Word, and every person must choose to respond. I am convinced that if we will respond and come to the table with Jesus, that we will have relationship with God and true life in Him now, that abundant life, that life to the full, but also the fullness of eternal life later when there will be no more stain of sin. Are we looking forward to that day of God's righteousness? Amen. Amen. Now, I want you to put on your theological hat for just a moment because I want to break down for you a little bit of our understanding in dealing with latter days or last days. When we talk about the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, we're really referencing two key parts of what will take place going forward. First, there is what we call the rapture of the church. Simply put, the calling away or the catching away of people who are following Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. This is the idea that Jesus, at the cue of the Father, will step out on the clouds and call His followers to be with Him in heaven. It's not that He will touch down on earth just yet, but that we will go to be with Him. Now, Scripture specifically speaks, and the early church held this belief in a strong way, that the rapture of the church was imminent. Meaning, the rapture of the church could happen at any moment in time. Jesus taught this, the early church believed this, and we've historically held to that same understanding of Scripture. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. It will be on earth like it was then. People will go on with life as usual, as normal, disregarding or ignoring what God has spoken about the future. There's evidence in Scripture that Noah pled with people to try to convince them of this truth. As he was following Jesus and trying to be obedient to the Lord to build the ark, he was trying to help others see their need to listen to what God was saying. And ultimately, it was a foreshadowing of what was to come. The ark represents Jesus, and only in Jesus is there salvation. Otherwise, there is judgment for our sin because we stand opposed to God. It's an illustration of salvation and judgment at the same time. 
A few verses later in Matthew 24, Jesus said, So you too must keep watch, for you don't know when, what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Much like in the days that Peter wrote to his audience in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, the church there, uh, there are people who question, well, the Lord isn't coming, apparently. He, he hasn't come yet, so He must not be coming in general. And Jesus said that there will be these people who will think that He's not coming, that it, they won't expect it. They'll go on with life as usual and just keep doing the day-to-day things. And yet, His coming will happen when they least expect it. First part is Jesus calling His followers to be with Him. The second part of the coming of the Lord comes later, the second coming of Christ with His followers from heaven back to the physical earth. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, Then I saw the heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Notice, the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress." So what we have here in Scripture is a two-part coming of the Lord, the church going to be with Him in heaven. And if our interpretation of Scripture is correct, and we understand there's probably some wiggle room to some degree, but if our interpretation of Scripture is correct, we go to heaven, we're celebrating at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're having basically a reception for the bride and the groom because we're together While on earth, there's a tribulation and a great tribulation taking place. And at the end of that seven-year period, Jesus and his followers will come back to earth, touch down on earth, and from there you have the battle of Armageddon, you have the great millennial reign, you have the great white throne judgment, and ultimately the new heavens and the new earth. You with me so far? All right, you're doing good. In between these two comings of Christ is when those things are going to take place. Now... The reality is we don't know when this moment will be. There have been a lot of people who have tried to date the coming of the Lord for various different reasons. In 1988, the great old 1900s, in 1988 there was a guy who wrote a book and he gave 88 reasons why the rapture would happen in 1988. There was only one problem with his book. He was wrong. I don't know that this is true. You might know this. I'm not sure. But I was told that this guy later added one more reason and wrote 89 reasons why the rapture will happen in 1989. He missed it again. Before you get too quick to criticize him, although I think he was from Arkansas. That's a whole different conversation. But before you get too quick to criticize him, there have been a lot of people who have done the same thing. When this happens or when that happens or surely this must be the sign of the coming of the Lord. We live in a time right now when conflicts have arisen in the Middle East, and we're all aware that Israel is still a part of God's plan, and so we understand that all that's happening right now in the Middle East could be pointing towards the end of days as we know it according to the definition of Scripture. 
However, we've got to be careful not to get so caught up in watching what's happening there that we become paralyzed and aren't continuing to complete our mission on earth while we're here. We got to be careful. Jesus said to the disciples before he ascended back to heaven, it's not for you to know the dates or times. You don't need to be concerned with yourself over all of these things and spend so many moments just paying all attention to that to the point that you're not doing something to inspire somebody else to follow Jesus. Instead, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Don't sit idle. Yeah, things are happening and the signs are in front of you, but don't sit idle. There's work to be done. People need to know Jesus. People need to know Jesus. So when conflicts arise in the Middle East, it, it stirs up the waters. Maybe this is it. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Who knows? When the moon turns colors, this must be it. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Book after book, attempt after attempt has been written to try to document the date. And we get it. We understand the urgency and the immediacy that we feel about Jesus coming back. Here's what he taught earlier in Matthew 24. You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. If you know anything about birth pains, they increase in frequency and they increase in intensity. I think that's part of what we're seeing play out in our world right now, right? So we're seeing these birth pains. There will be more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Well, Pastor Chris, I came here in a turkey coma. I need you to preach something encouraging today. I don't want to talk about being persecuted or arrested and certainly not killed. Well, if, if any preaching of the gospel tells you that it's just going to be like a tiptoe through the tulips, it's a lie. It's not always easy. There are things we have to go through. And it's not becoming more popular with the world. It's becoming less popular with the world. Make sure that your salvation is sure in Christ. Make sure that your commitment is strong. You'll be arrested and persecuted and killed. You'll be hated all over the world. Why? Simply because you're my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So we get it. We, we are seeing these things, aren't we? We're recognizing this is happening in the world, especially that phrase, sin is rampant everywhere. This escalation and acceleration of the sin issue in humanity seems to be on display every day. But our point today is not to try to date the rapture of the church or to date the coming of the Lord. It's simply to keep in view how important this life really is in view of eternity. Our point is that we must not lose our grip on the promises of God. We must not lose our grip on the promises of God. It may not have happened yet, but it's coming. The rapture of the church will take place. The day of the Lord is coming. The tribulation will be great in the worst way possible. Eternity is in view for all of us no matter what age we are today. 
maybe closer than we even realize. There will be a final judgment, and only those who follow Jesus will spend eternity with God. These things are true. We must hold on to the promises of God. Peter wrote it this way. Most importantly, verse 3, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth, following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Now, I want you to notice just really quickly, when Peter is writing to the church, he's not just talking about the outside issues that they're going to face. Remember, we read this from Jesus a moment ago. We're going to be persecuted. We could be arrested. Our lives could be taken for the cause of Christ. We're going to see all these things playing out on the outside, if you will, of the church. But what Peter's talking about here is people even within the church rising to preach a false gospel. Rising to say, well, it hasn't happened yet, so it must not be going to happen at all. But the truth is, you know, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So Peter takes his audience back and he says, let me remind you of a few things throughout history that have happened just to make sure you understand God always does what he says he's going to do and that his word is powerful. In verse 5, he says, with just a word, God spoke and things were created. In verse 6, he says, God flooded the earth. This picture of salvation and judgment, just as he said he would, he always comes through on what he says. And then in verse 7, he looks ahead and he says, don't forget, That because of the contamination of sin, God will eventually destroy the current heavens and the earth by fire, the final judgment, if you will, and the restoration of all things for all eternity. Peter reminded his audience that God sees the entire timeline. He sees it differently than we do. We may remember the past, but we don't live there. We may anticipate for the future, but we don't live there either. We can only live in the present. But God has the ability that while he operates in time and on time, he sees the scope of time and isn't limited in any way. Our responsibility is not to try to figure it all out. Our responsibility is to trust God the one who has always been proven to be trustworthy. He will do what he said he will do. God has not forgotten what he said. It's not like me when I walk into the kitchen and try to remember, why did I walk in this room? It's not like we older people who are getting older by the day and we pick up our phone and 30 seconds later we're trying to remember, why did I pick up my phone? What was I about to do? God's not like that. We're limited. He's not. And I can assure you today, not one jot, not one tittle, not one inkling of any moment has God forgotten what he said. He will do it. And he has the power to accomplish it. He is faithful. He's always done it. He will do it. He will bring it to completion. God is God. That's true in your personal life. Just a side note for a moment. It's true in your personal life. There's a temptation somewhere along the way when you're handed a promise from God on a personal level. It it comes from the Word. It comes through moments with the Holy Spirit that are confirmed by the Word. It comes confirmed by others in your life. And you're given a promise from God. There's a temptation along the way to begin questioning what God says to your life. Well, maybe I really didn't hear from God. 
Maybe that person who told me this word from the Lord was wrong. Maybe I just misunderstood. Maybe I missed my opportunity for this to happen in my life. I promise you today, and my promise isn't nearly what God's promise is, but I promise you today that if God has given you a promise, do not give up. Do not give in. Do not give out. Do not look away. Do not turn away. Do not let the devil try to talk in your ear and tell you that you didn't really hear from God. Don't let the devil try to tell you that someone who told you that wasn't really anointed from God. Cling to the truth of God. Trust God to confirm it and bring it back to your memory. And in the waiting season, keep trusting in God. Not because of you and not because of what it is, but because He is faithful. Because He is good because he always does what he says he will do. You can believe in him. Peter said, listen, everything, everything's going to happen just as he said. He hasn't forgotten it. He's got all power to accomplish every promise he's ever made. And then he goes one step deeper. And Peter says, you know, when these scoffers come along and try to tell you, well, it must not going to be happened. Here's, here's what you need to remember. Verse 9. The Lord isn't really slow about His promise as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Why not yet? Why not now? Why hasn't it taken place? It just may be that God is working. It's true in your personal life. Why not yet? Why hasn't it taken place yet? It may just be that God's working in your heart and preparing you for what's ahead. And the same is true in our world today. Why not the rapture? Why not are we in those end days? Do you see how bad it is? Do you see how sinful it is in our world? And yet we are seeing here the merciful graciousness of God that says, I so long for relationship with humanity and I so want humanity to be with me for eternity that I am not letting these things happen yet to give people an opportunity to be saved. The one who has all the power to send his wrath upon us. And yet he loves so much that he gives people the opportunity to repent. So we need to remember when we could question why hasn't happened yet. We need to remember it may just be that God's giving opportunity for people to hear the truth. That loved one that you've been praying for, that coworker that you've been praying for, those people that you know, that maybe you even sat around the dinner table with them this week. God is giving people an opportunity to respond. Can we thank God for that? Think about that. He gave us the opportunity to respond. We were the ones rebellious against God. We were the ones running and doing our own way. We were the sinful opposed to God. Paul said we were enemies of God. And he gave us opportunity to be saved. Wow. And finally he goes on to remind in verse 10. Peter says the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. So hey, when these scoffers come... And when people try to tell you it's not going to happen or when you begin to question things, don't do that. God said it. It's going to happen and it's going to happen very soon. 
So what's our response? What, what do we do in response? Well, I would suggest today, and it's multifaceted, but I would suggest today we must live with our focus on eternity. We must live with eternity in view. What does that mean for us? Number one, that means we must be saved. We must be saved. We must have salvation in Jesus. We must be found to be in Christ. We must be in the ark, so to speak. I'm not sure when it's all going to happen. I don't know when God's going to say, okay, son, get your bride. I don't know when all these things will take place. I'm not here to date it. I think it would look foolish like it has through the years. But what I do know is this. Each and every breath that we breathe, each and every moment that we live, each and every day on this earth, we live one day closer to our eternity. We've never been as close to eternity as we are right now. And I can promise you today that verse 15 is still true in this moment. The Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. And because you and I in this room today don't know when all of this is going to take place, or we don't know when the end of our life is going to come, then we've got to be ready for eternity with God. I would say it again, there are no mulligans. There, there's no do-over. It's this life. And if we make the decision to follow Jesus, we will be in eternity with Him. If we don't, we will be separated from God. Today, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, today, today, today is the day of salvation. I'm, I'm not, I get it. I grew up in the culture where probably fear was used a little too much with preachers and everybody got saved every Sunday night because it was hard preaching. Yeah, hey, some of y'all stayed closer to Jesus because of it, I'm sure. But I'm not here to, I'm not here to talk fearfully. I've just been in this thing long enough that I can tell you eternity comes for some quicker than they think. It could be just around the corner for anyone. So we can't wait. We can't have this idea that we'll live life to the fullest as we think it is, and then we'll give our heart over to God. Or we'll, we'll live, and then we'll get to that deathbed moment, and we'll turn to God. We don't know when that moment's going to be. We don't know when eternity comes. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that a person must answer to come to the table with Jesus and experience life and relationship and peace and joy and power. And today is the day that you can be assured of eternal life. We must be saved. Secondly, we must hold tightly to the truth of God's Word. What does it mean to live and focus on eternity? It means that we hold tightly to the truth of God's Word. We must not allow outward forces and outward voices to cause us to veer off the straight and narrow path with Jesus. We also must not allow inward voices within the body of Christ to twist the Scripture and to distort what God is saying. False teachers are not just on the horizon. In many cases, false teachers are already here. I've said it before. With, with the smartphone that you carry and with the platforms that are available on the internet, anybody under the sun can make a video and tell anybody anything they want to tell them. You know as well as I do, some of those folks ain't got no business being on the internet. But they are. Let me give you a rule of thumb. Let me just remind us today. That when the world rejects the truth, and even with pe when people within the so-called body of Christ, even though they may not really be believers, 
when people within the body of Christ begin to take God's word and twist it and distort it to fit their life rather than their lives being transformed to fit the word of God. When that begins to happen, the rule of thumb is if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's not right for your life. Period. It's happening. It's happening all over right now. Jesus said that we are not to add to or take away from the Word of God. The goal is not to distort the Word. It's for our lives to be changed, to become more like Christ. We must hold on to the truth of God's Word. Verse 17, Peter said it this way, So be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Let me focus on that last phrase for just a moment. I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. But I know that if you lose your own secure footing, that means you once had secure footing. I know that when Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 24 about people falling away and love growing cold, the indication of Scripture is that there is once a people who are walking with Jesus, who are following Jesus, and somewhere along the way, it's probably not like a light switch instant, but it's somewhere along the way they begin to allow these other voices and other influences and begin to ignore the nudge and the pull and the work of the Holy Spirit. Be careful if you think you're standing firm lest you fall. Be careful not to lose that secure footing on the rock of Christ. How do we do that? We've got to be anchored in Him. We've got to cling to His Word. We've got to judge it by Scripture and not by feelings, emotions, or charisma. Thirdly, we must continue to follow Jesus. Verse 11, Peter said, Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. And in verse 18, he says, We are to grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've said many times, it's not just about entering through the gate into salvation. It's not just the starting point. It's that that is the beginning of an ongoing relationship with God. And he wants to grow us and to change us. I'll admit to you, sometimes that's not pretty. Sometimes it's even painful. But God only disciplines those He loves. He, he helps us to grow. He leads us in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. He wants us to continue to grow up. I've said this way, and I'm sure somebody probably said it better, but we're supposed to be childlike in having faith in the Lord, but we're, we don't have to remain spiritually childish. We can grow. Our thoughts... Our words, our attitudes, our motives, we can grow and become more and more living the life that Jesus would want us to live. So we must be saved and we must continue to follow Jesus and we must hold tightly to the truth of God's word. And then lastly, we must inspire other people to follow Jesus too. The goal is not just for me to get me and my family into heaven. My desire is that all people would be a part of eternity. Peter said it this way. It's an interesting phrase he uses. In verse 12 of 2 Peter 3, he says that we're looking forward to the day of God and we're hurrying it along. I don't want to take too much liberty here, but I think there is a connection point back to what Jesus said in Matthew 24. 
The gospel will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. So if we are actively serving as part of the Great Commission, we're furthering the kingdom of God and then also helping to make sure the coming of Jesus is sooner rather than later. We're, we're being a part of that work. We're praying for the coming of the Lord, and we're spreading the good news about Jesus so that it reaches to where it needs to be and ultimately will precede His coming. Reading in the book Sacred Ambitions this week, written by a well-known global worker, he gets to the end of a, a rather long writing The whole book is about his journey to plant churches in some of the hardest, darkest places in the world. I'm reading it, and I'll be honest with you, I'm reading it because somebody gave it to me so I can tell them I read it. I don't want to lie to people. But I've enjoyed reading it. And somewhere along the way, page 300 plus, if you give me a book, let it be shorter than 300 pages, please. Just kidding. Somewhere about along 300 plus, he ended his section of writing with this question. We're, we're, we know we must be saved, we know we must continue to follow Jesus, and we know we must hold tightly to the truth of God's Word, but let us not forget that we must inspire other people to follow Jesus. And here's the question that he posed. Who have you and I led to the Lord lately? Now, this is a person who has served as a global worker for many, many years. And due to the leading of the Lord and the success that has been seen in his kingdom work, he has been advanced in leadership. And so he leads other people. He assembles teams. He trains them. He travels. He preaches. He teaches. You name it. He does it. His schedule is probably horrendous. I mean, it's probably absolutely awful. So as he's writing this question, he goes on to say, You know, there are a lot of things I could say about my life and maybe the reason why I haven't personally led somebody to Jesus lately. He says, you know, my schedule is busy and I'm I'm training leaders so that they can then evangelize the lost and and I I can get tired and weary. I've got to make sure that I live this work-life balance well and I've got to make sure I'm spending time with my family and, and discipling my own children and so on and so forth. And he said, but I keep coming back to this question. Who have I led? To the Lord lately. The same could be true for us. We can come up with a lot of different thoughts, a lot of different rationale, a lot of different, maybe even excuses. Maybe it sounds something like this Well, I give money to send global workers all over the world. I live a quiet and a gentle life in hopes of someone seeing the difference and seeing Jesus in me. All good things. I have to spend time with my family. I've got to live out this right balance in my life. And I've got to make sure that I'm spending time discipling my own children. Or maybe it goes further. I'm I'm tired and I'm very busy and there's no rest for the weary. And we're always constantly on the go. Or maybe it goes deeper. Somebody else is paid to do that. That's their job. Or maybe even deeper. Well, here's the super spiritual answer. I I can't save anyone. It's got to be God that does it. And somehow, because we understand it's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, we excuse ourselves from being part of the process. Or maybe it's like this. Maybe you would say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I can't walk up and talk to somebody randomly. 
I, I, don't, I don't have the gift of gab, which is not a spiritual gift, by the way. I don't have the gift of gab. I, I don't have the gift to just be able to walk up and start a conversation. I, I don't feel prepared to answer all these questions. And yet, we keep coming back to the great commission of God. And we pose that question. Who have you and I led to the Lord lately? Who have we led to the Lord lately? Would you stand with me today? I'm going to ask our our prayer team members to come and make yourself available on either side of the auditorium. In a few moments, I'll pray. And we always want you to know that if you have a need, if you want to talk with someone about what it means to follow Jesus, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, There are people who will pray with you. There are people who will agree with you. There are people who will encourage you today. But I want you to respond today in in really one of two ways. If we're living in light of eternity and we know what God has said is going to come to pass, then the first response must be, have you made the decision to follow Jesus? Has your life been changed because you were saved and found to be in the family of God? What does it mean? It means we were lost in sin before Jesus. It means that in ourselves we have nothing to bring to the table. We could never be good enough. And yet God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in Jesus would not perish, would come to repentance and believe in him and would not perish but would have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved and whoever believes in Jesus now is not condemned but whoever does not believe in Jesus stands condemned already. Today is the day of salvation. I can't answer this for you. Your parents can't answer it for you. Your friends can. It's got to be your personal decision. And it's got to be a confession with your mouth and your heart that says, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't do anything to change myself. And I could never be good enough to come to God and claim that I'm good enough to be anything. But instead, we come humbly and we confess our sinfulness. And we confess in our lives and with our hearts that He's our Savior and our Lord. So the first response is salvation. The second response is dealing with that latter part. If we're living knowing God's going to come through with His promises and knowing eternity is in view, then what are we doing to inspire other people to follow Jesus? Maybe our answers to that question, who have we led to the Lord lately, are answers we'd rather not even share. Because we've been busy and we've been doing a lot of things and maybe even a lot of good things. Good things. But if we're honest, we maybe haven't led anyone to the Lord in a while. Maybe never. So today then we're praying for Holy Spirit empowerment. We're saying, okay, we believe that the work of the Holy Spirit is not just for the emotional side of things. We understand that the peace of God can come with comfort that we can feel, we can sense. We're emotional beings. God made us that way. We get that. But we also understand the power of the Holy Spirit is about more than just that. It's about the enablement, the courage, the boldness to walk out into a world that is lost and to tell them the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ. 
So we're praying today for empowerment. God, give us a backbone. God, give us a backbone. Give us courage. Give us boldness to, to plant the seeds, to water the seeds, to lead people to you. And every moment you give us the opportunity to do so. In our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our friend circles, whatever the case. Give us the empowerment. I pray for a, a holy passion in all of us for souls to be saved. I'm going to pray for you, and then I want to challenge you today to respond in the way that God is speaking to you in this very moment. And maybe, maybe that's what you need to say. Lord, what are you saying to me? How can I respond today? Father, thank you for your word. We know that it does not return void. And we know, O oh Lord, that your power is at work even as your truth is being proclaimed. So, Lord, we pray for any person, in person or online, who has not made a decision to follow you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, will you convince them right now of their need for you? And I pray they respond to that nudge, that tug of the Holy Spirit, that they would come as, as broken as they may feel, as messed up as they may feel, that they will come to you, Lord, and find that you welcome each and every one who will believe in your son Jesus to the table. You are God who saves. I pray, O oh Lord, that today people will make that decision to follow you. And I pray, O oh Lord, that we all will have a greater passion for people to know you, Jesus. That, Lord, we would, we would not be okay with family members and friends and co-workers and neighbors, uh, Lord, missing out on eternity. We, we would struggle with the thought of them being separated for eternity from you. God, we would, we would have a, a compulsion in us, oh Lord, a passion, a motivation in us, oh God, and a courage and a boldness to take a step towards people. God, that when we are asking that question of ourselves, we can truly say that we, by your empowerment, have been part of leading someone to you. Help us, oh God. Help us, oh God, to see the reality of eternity. And even our own mortality, God, that we would just recognize how, how serious, how, how important this business, this kingdom work really is. Equip us, Holy Spirit. Equip us to do your work. Now, Father, I pray today that you would bless and keep this people. And you would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May your countenance, your favor ever be turned in their direction. And grant them your peace. Would you go with us and keep us? And more than anything, God, would you use us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name.